And so, Lord God, you are holy. And holy means different. It means one of these things is not like the other. You're strange, Lord God. You're holy. And Lord, I honestly sometimes think you're like crazy. And part of your craziness is that you would have us talk about you because you are so holy, you are so strange, you are so different, and yet even that is part of your holiness, that you would choose to use us. And so, Lord God, I thank you that you are the good. You are holy and you are good. And now, Lord God, I pray that you would help us to speak about you. And Lord God, where our speaking goes wrong, would you overpower us with your spirit and make it right? And I thank you that even that is part of your holiness. And so, Lord God, help us now to preach. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, uh, on vacation, California with my two sons one night, I was watching television and uh, saw this. Where is our daughter? Dad? Marcy, you are coming home this instant. We are saving your daughter from the clutches of hell, sir. You're not going to make my daughter part of your cult. Your daughter could die tomorrow, and then what? You're just a stupid little fat kid who thinks that... (gasps) Steven? Stephen, no! The Lord has spoken again! Stephen? Stephen? Where, where am I? Where are we? What's happening? Hello, newcomers, and welcome. Can everybody hear me? Hello? Can everybody? Okay. Uh, I'm the hell director. Uh, it looks like we have about 8,615 of you newbies today. And for those of you who were a little confused, uh, you are dead, and this is hell. So, abandon all hope and yada, 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 yada. Uh, we're now going to start the orientation process, which will last about... Hey, wait a minute. I shouldn't be here. I was a totally strict and devout Protestant. I thought we went to heaven. Yes, well, I'm afraid you were wrong. I was a practicing Jehovah's Witness. Uh, you picked the wrong religion as well. Well, who was right? Who gets into heaven? I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, the Mormons were the correct answer. <laughs> I totally love that. <laughs> Uh, yes, um, correct answer uh, is, you know, at least in America, uh, religion has portrayed faith as like the correct answer on a test that we can pass or we can fail. That's, that's faith. So, so if you believe the correct doctrine, you're saved and born again and win the jackpot, but if you don't believe the correct uh, doctrine, you are tortured forever in hell. And so we spend a lot of time arguing about correct doctrine and that our doctrine is correct and then threatening people in order that they would believe it. But, but is that what, what faith really is? Is that what saving faith is? Is it our choice of correct doctrine? Well, how do we know the right doctrine? How do we know what the truth is so that we can choose it? How do we know what the good is so that we can choose the good? How do we know what's right so we can make the right decision? How do we judge truth? so that we can choose to be true. 
Well, that's the big question in John chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 1. After this, which happens to be John chapter 6, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him because they were offended over what he said in John chapter 6. As I hope you remember from last time in John 6, Jesus basically reveals that apart from him, we're all monsters. Like vampires and zombies, the walking dead lusting for the body and the blood of the living. And so apart from him, he reveals, we cannot choose the good at all. So in our last sermon, we preached on the monster trap. Remember that? Jesus Christ and him crucified. He traps monsters using their own bad motives in order to trap them and then replacing those motives with his motive himself. And so it was our evil judgment, our bad choice that took Jesus' life on the tree. And it was God's good judgment, God's good choice that gave Jesus Christ from the tree, his life. We took life, God gives life. In, in other words, our choice, our will, our judgment is sin alone. And God's choice, God's will, God's judgment is grace, always grace. And that's offensive. Nothing is more offensive to reasonable people than grace said Charles Wesley. So if you found the last sermon a bit offensive, that's good. Because perhaps you're starting to get it. Grace. Next verse. Now the Jews' feast of booze was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go up to Judea that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If, you're, if, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. His brothers said, Jesus, prove it, prove it. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. Now, I'm not going up to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Christ's time is his Father's time. Christ only wants to go at his Father's prompting because his will is to do his Father's will. He wants to do whatever his Father is doing. His brothers, uh, they want what they want. So Jesus says, your time is always here, this world. Verse 9, after saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, but not publicly, in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's, he's a good man, others said, no, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching. The, the middle of the feast of booths or tabernacles or tents, when for seven days Israel was commanded to live in, in tabernacles, tents, or booths like they did on their journey 
from bondage to freedom. And on the eighth day, the great day, they celebrated the harvest. Remember, we are on a journey through this world. And there is a harvest of this world. Well, anyway, the Jews grumble and wonder where Jesus is leading them. Kind of like the Israelites grumbled and wondered where the pillar of fire was leading them. The pillar of fire and Jesus. I mean, maybe they're like the same thing. Well, Jesus taught them. Next verse, the Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? I mean, what about his credentials, they're asking. So Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? In other words, you, you know about the good, but none of you loves the good. Because you seek your, your own glory. You seek your own will. No one seeks for God. No one does good. Not even one, says Scripture. All are monsters. Next verse. Well, he asked first, why do you seek to kill me? Why do you seek to kill me, says Jesus. The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one deed and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Moses and the prophets uh, reveal that circumcision is really about the heart that something is fundamentally wrong with our hearts. It's our hearts that trust or don't trust, says Paul in Romans 10. And, and our hearts, according to the prophets, our hearts must be circumcised. The outer skin cut away from that most tender part of our being, that part with which we trust, love, and judge. Judge not by appearances, but with right judgment, judge. Okay, so, so what is right judgment? Remember, John describes Jesus as the judge who judges by not judging. <laughs> it's like God's judgment is grace. Grace. Judge with right judgment, not appearances. And then, you can read it, for like the rest of chapter seven, everyone keeps trying to judge Jesus by appearances so they can decide whether or not to choose Jesus. They judge the truth so they can choose the truth. They ask, um, well, uh, will he prove himself? 
What effects do his teachings have? What are his credentials? Does he fulfill prophecy? And maybe most of all, what do the authorities say about him? They're asking, how do we know that his doctrine is true? But Jesus just told them how they might know that the doctrine is true. Did you catch it? Verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. He's saying, if you will, if you, if you happen to will the truth, you will know about the truth. If you might will the good, you will know about the good. But that's backwards, isn't it? I mean, doesn't that seem backwards to you? Shouldn't it be, if you know about the truth, if you know about the truth, well, then you can will the truth. If you know about the good, well, then you can choose the good. But he says, if you will, God's will, then you'll know. If you will, God's will. Well, who wills God's will? Not us monsters. That's what chapter 6 was, was about. How do we will what we don't will and can't will but should will? How do we choose what we don't choose and can't choose but should choose? In other words, how do we want what we don't want but should want? You see the word fellow in that, in that verse is translated will in, in most Bibles, but more accurately, it's translated uh, desire or want. The, the word means want. So this is a, a word for word, if you look in a transliteration, okay, a word for word transliteration. Word for word uh, transliteration, it, it means that they take each word and they just translate it the way they think the, the, what the word most commonly means. Uh, this is a word for word transliteration of verse 17. If any might want the want of him to do, he will know about the doctrine. So how do we want what we don't want but should want? I mean, can you just decide to want what you don't want? Can you should yourself into wanting to do the, the good? You can should, you, should yourself, I, I mean, will yourself. You can should yourself into doing the good, right? Or at least what appears good. However, if you should yourself into doing the good, doesn't it just reveal that you are not good? It reveals that you don't want the good because you had to should yourself into doing it, right? You see, when we turn the good into a law that we should fulfill, when we turn goodness into our responsibility, it only reveals that we are not good. 
It only reveals that we don't want the good. It reveals that we simply want to use the good in order to obtain the bad, which is our own self-centered will, willing our own glory. It reveals that we don't freely choose the good, for in fact, we choose the good constrained by the bad, <laughs> our self-centered will to will our good, our glory. Our will is only free when every choice is entirely love, God's choice. So you see, you can't will yourself into being good. Or think of it this way. Jesus said, if any might will God's will to do, and what's God's will? It's, it's the good. It's faith, right? Because Jesus said, this is what you must be doing to be doing uh, the works of the Father. You, you, you must trust. That's, that's faith. Ha, has any one of you um, ever had someone say this to you? You, you, you know, you, you really should trust. Uh, you know, uh, you're, you're struggling, and someone says to you, know, you, you just need, you, you really should have faith. And you think, oh gosh, thanks, never thought of that. That, that really helped. Um, have faith. I mean, can you should yourself into trust? See, trust isn't something you can create with your own will. Trust is created by the revelation of another's will, the one you need to trust. You can't will yourself into faith. Or think of it this way. Jesus said, if any might will, God's will to do. Clearly, God's will is God's word, right? And God's word is who? Jesus. And Jesus is a person. If any might will, Jesus to do. We are to will Jesus to do. If you try to make that happen, you turn Jesus into your slave. You use him for your evil will, your will. But if you let that happen, if you let that happen, Jesus turns you into his body and animates you with himself who is love. You, you see the good, faith, God's will, is a person that we are to want. If you try to should yourself into wanting a person, if you try to should yourself, will yourself, should yourself into wanting a person, it simply reveals that you don't want that person <laughs> except to use that person. And so we'll eventually probably despise that person. You'll crucify that person. When love becomes a law, which we think we can choose to do, sin becomes sinful beyond measure. Romans chapter 17, chapter 7, verse 13. I'm saying you, you can't should yourself into love. Not real love. Love is not a reality you can create with your will. Love is the reality that creates you and your will. Love is God. And God is love. That's what John tells us. 
Love is the choice that is God himself. And God must place God within you by grace. And when it happens, it's called faith. And it manifests as love. You can't will yourself into love. Not, not real love. So you don't choose the good. You don't choose faith like an answer on a test. You didn't choose the good. The good chose you. You didn't choose faith. It's more like faith chose you. You didn't choose love. Love chose you. You didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose you. So being saved, being saved then, well, it must be more like falling in love. Not a test that you take, but a test that takes you. You really didn't, and you really don't, choose to fall in love. I mean, that's why we say things like this. He was smitten. Ah, <laughs> uh, he was trapped. Ah, uh, she sprung the trap. Uh, she captured his heart. He, he, he was trapped. Yeah, it's the monster trap, the monster trap. I didn't choose to fall in love. I chose to ask Susan on a date because I judged her appearance. And her appearance was awesome. <laughs> I mean, 1977, the way she looked in these tight white polyester pants <laughs> was awesome. That was my motive. That's what I wanted. I was a monster. At youth group, I was told that I should want her, you know, that is, want her heart. But how do I choose to want what I don't want, but I should want? I wanted her attributes. <laughs> not her heart. Do we ever want God's attributes and not his heart? He's got a lot of attributes. Well, if so, maybe we're monsters. Well, I couldn't make myself want her heart. I, I, I didn't know her heart. I didn't see her heart. I was a monster, but she was a monster trap. I, I mean, she loved me, the monster trap. She loved me and let me break her heart. It's happened far more than once, but I remember the first time I have uh, told you uh, about it. I broke her heart and later went looking for her and I found her. I saw her from a distance and watched her from a distance. She was walking in the rain in the park, weeping over me. I saw her heart and it was broken over me. And then suddenly my heart broke over her. And I wanted her heart. See, I didn't judge her heart. Her heart judged me and created in me a new want, a new wanter, a new heart. That's how she trapped me. She romanced me. That's the monster trap. She 
drew me to herself with grace. On May 28, 1983, I vowed myself and everything I have to her with a huge old smile on my face because I wanted to. I suppose you could say that was my choice. But you see, I really can never take credit for that choice. It's not to my credit. Credit. But imagine, imagine if I did. Imagine if at the wedding reception, someone asked, hey, Peter, why'd you get married? And, and I said, well, you know, I really didn't want to, <laughs> but I realized that I should. I've discerned, I've discerned what's good, and I've disciplined myself to choose what's good. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard, but it's the right thing to do. And so I did it, dadgummit, because I should. <laughs> that would have just broken her heart if I said that. And since we've been married, I, I have broken her heart, and yet with it, she still keeps trapping the monster. And you see, that's to her credit, not mine. But now imagine if at the wedding reception, I stood up and said something like this. Well, I, I didn't want to get married, but she trapped me with her love. I was smitten. Well, that would have been entirely different, huh? Entirely to her credit and not mine. You see, I fell in love. I didn't should myself into love. I didn't will myself into love. And imagine, imagine if, if I really had tried. Imagine if I tried. Susan and I both figure that somewhere along about, what, 1968, 1969, when we were like in second grade, our families both regularly went to the Denver drumstick for dinner. And so we figure that we must have been there sometime at the same time, even though I didn't know who she was. Well, imagine if a time traveler from the future all of a sudden appeared at the Denver drumstick and pointed over uh, to Susan and then spoke to me and said something like this. You, Peter Hyatt, should love that girl on the other side of the restaurant. You should give her all your earthly possessions. You should vow yourself to her in an unbreakable covenant, stand naked before her and love her from the depths of your being you should and if you don't you will burn forever in hell and then vanished that would be weird <laughs> and if I really believe that by May 28 1983 I would have grown to hate that girl or I would have been committed to an insane asylum or I would have taken my very own life. I would have, if I would have tried to should myself into falling in love. Isn't that ironic? Because on May 28, 1983, I did all of those things with a great big smile on my face. But I didn't should myself into falling in love. Do you should on yourself? But now imagine, now imagine if the time traveler uh, did that. I mean, showed up in the restaurant but didn't say, you should. Imagine if he said, you shall. You shall. You will because you will want to. <laughs> She's your wife. And then vanished. Well, that would be weird too, right? 
It'd be weird, but it'd be good because I was a pretty insecure second grader. <laughs> and you see, I think that would have filled me with hope. I would have thought to myself, wow, a, a girl like, like me, would like me, I, I, I want to meet this girl, my wife. I want to. Exodus 20. I am that I am from beyond the future, spoke from the fire on the mountain, and he said, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself graven images, idols, and worship them. You shall not take my name in vain for your own vain purposes, for your own vain glory. The, the Ten Commandments, is that a threat? or a promise. Deuteronomy 6, the voice and the pillar of fire told Israel, you shall, perfect tense, indicated completing, completed action in the past, present, or future. You, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. You shall, not, not, not you should. You shall, you shall. And did they? No. Not in their lifetime. You shall. Is God a liar? Matthew 22, Mark 12, Luke 10, the same voice, the word of God, Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall. It's future active indicative in the Greek. It means you will. You see, that's far more than just a commandment. That's a promise. It's a promise, a promise from the future. Jesus is promising his faithless bride a new heart. You do remember, don't you? At the end of this journey, we're marrying Jesus. And the fruit of this journey, the harvest of this earth, is faith and love. A new heart, a new wonder. I mean, imagine if, if, you, if you didn't want to be married, Marriage would feel like hell. If you don't want to be married, I mean, marriage must be hell. But if you do want to be married, well, it's a taste of heaven. In that South Park episode, there was something brilliant towards the end of the episode. Don't have time to show you, but Saddam Hussein goes to hell. And he just, he loves it in hell. So Satan sends Sodom to heaven to live with the Mormons. That's Sodom's hell. <laughs> Making things out of egg cartons forever with the Mormons. You see, without a new heart, without a new wanter, heaven must burn like hell. Maybe our biggest problem is that we don't believe that God will give us a new wanter. Maybe our biggest problem is that we don't trust his grace, and so we hide our hearts, our wanters, in fear. One day, driving in our minivan, 
several years ago, Elizabeth, when she was much younger, she confessed her heart to me. She said, Daddy, I, I need to tell you something. I said, okay, honey. She said, Daddy, when I grow up, I don't want to be a mommy. And I said, oh, honey, how come? She said, well, I don't want breasts. Do you understand that? She couldn't believe that her wants might change. And that what seemed like hell could really be heaven. One day on a ski lift, I tried to explain the birds and the bees to my son. I'm trying to explain it to him, you know, this big deal. And, and he finally he stopped me and said, Dad, Daddy, um, could, could we talk about something else? You're freaking me out. He couldn't conceive that his once might actually change and what seemed like hell could feel like heaven. Did you know that God will change your heart? And he's in the process of changing your heart. He is creating in you a new wanter, a new chooser, a new heart. Now, human words fail us at this point. I really think that they do, but you didn't choose him. He chose you in order that one day you would choose him in freedom. In other words, I think that you are predestined for free will. When you will only will love in freedom. Not like a robot, but like Jesus. After the last message on John 6, the, the monster trap, a friend wrote a wonderful letter and asked the question that I really hoped someone would ask. She asked, well, what about Deuteronomy chapter 30? You see, there are two places in the Old Testament where Israel is commanded to choose Commanded to choose. Deuteronomy 30 and Joshua chapter 24. In Joshua 24, 15, Joshua says, he assembles everyone and says, choose this day whom you will serve. And then he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And then he says, Joshua says to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. Isn't that great? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You are not able. So you see, the only way to choose to serve the Lord is to be a part of Joshua's house. As for me and my house. Who is Joshua and what's his house? Well, Joshua is just the Hebrew word for Jesus. He's the one that leads God's people to the promised land and to be a part of Joshua's house well, you must be married to Jesus, to Joshua. And the only way you can marry Jesus, Joshua, is if he chooses you and romances you until you choose him because you've been chosen. You're his bride, the church, and he is your bridegroom. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Through Moses, God says, Israel, I set before you life and death, good and evil. Choose life. Loving the Lord your God. In the next chapter, he tells Moses, they will forsake me. <laughs> in other words, they will not choose life. As they are, quote, inclined, as they are, or they will forsake me as they are inclined uh, to do. And, and we know that they did. And they died. 
And yet in the previous chapter, uh, Deuteronomy 29, God told them he will, he will, he will circumcise their hearts, speaking to Israel, and they will love him with all their hearts. Well, how's that possible? Ezekiel prophesies, chapter 37, that God will raise the whole house of Israel from their graves and bring them into the promised land, breathe his spirit into them, and he will create a new heart, a new wonder within them. Amazing. Well, anyway, back in Deuteronomy, right before God says choose, he says this, and I, and I want you to read it so you get it. This commandment, this word, is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we might hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea, the, the abyss, that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. The word. What is the word? Well, listen to Paul in Romans 10. He tells us, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss, the, the deep, the sea, the grave. That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith that we proclaim. And so do you get what Paul is saying? He quotes Deuteronomy 30 and reveals that the good choice in you is Christ Jesus in you which is the word of faith in you, which is the spirit of God within you, a new heart in you, a new wonder, growing in you, placed in you. And, and how does that happen? Well, you know the monster trap. God attracts us with his attributes and lets us break his heart. We take his life, and yet he gives his life on the tree, the cross. He allows us to sin and then exhibits his infinite mercy. Jesus Christ, the great bridegroom, is God's heart. Broken, lifted up, nailed to a tree, for all the world to see. John 12, Palm Sunday, Jesus calls out, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. I will draw. A great translation is, I will romance. I will romance all people to myself. You see, we, we try to judge the truth on the tree, and the truth on the tree judges us. The truth is Jesus. The truth judges us, redeems us, sanctifies us, sends his spirit into us, into our hearts, making them new. So we don't argue people into the kingdom. We don't threaten people into the kingdom, including ourselves. We preach 
proclaim Jesus Christ and him crucified. Faith cometh not by arguing nor threatening. Faith cometh by something else. Faith cometh by the revelation of God's will, God's choice, and he is love. Faith cometh something like this. The Archbishop of Paris once preached a whole sermon around a story. He stood in the pulpit at Notre Dame and told how 30 years before, three young students had come into that very cathedral. They were rough, they were rude, they were cynical, they did not believe. Well, two of them dared the third to make a bogus confession, to enter the confessional and make a, a lying bogus confession. They bet him that he didn't have the nerve to do it, but in order to win the bet, he, he did it. He, he was a monster. Well, the wise old priest, he saw the ruse, but he listened just the same. He listened to the lie and sensed the arrogance, and then he said, very well, my son, every confession deserves a penance, and this will be yours. Enter the chapel, stand before the crucifix, look into the face of the crucified Christ and say this, all this you did for me, and I don't give a damn. Well, the young man swaggered out of the confessional to his friends to claim the bet, but they insisted that before they paid him, he must finish the performance and he must uh, go through with the penance. And so the young man went into the chapel, looked into the face of Christ on the cross and began, all this you did for me and I... All this you did for me and I... And Words caught in his throat. <laughs> All this you did for me and, and, and I, I, I... He couldn't say it. He never finished the sentence. It began for him this painful experience, but one that changed his heart, his wonder. At that point, the archbishop telling this story leaned over the pulpit and said that young man was this man who stands before you to preach. And you see, what I'm saying is that's how you come to want what you didn't want, but should want and need to want and shall want. And so listen closely. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you will love your neighbor as yourself. You will. Because on the night that he was handed over, our Lord took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. Do it in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant, also called the eternal covenant, 
This is the new covenant. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. And so in the name of Jesus, bring that old wonter, your dead heart, your sin to the table, and God will fill it with his wonder, his heart, his grace. In Jesus' name, worship him. Amen. So, what is your journey through this world? What is your journey through this world, and what is the fruit of the journey? Your journey through this world is a love story. It is the romance of God. And the fruit of the journey is a new heart. You ever read a romance story, a love story? At the start, there's always somebody with a bad heart, and then their heart changes at the end. And what they didn't want at the start, they want desperately at the end, and they live happily ever after. It's a romance story. And who's writing your story? You? No. God. He's writing it according to his will. You may try to write yourself out of the story, but your will is not stronger than his will, and his will is always glorified, God's will. And what is God's will? Well, it's God's word. And who is God's word? Well, it's Jesus. And what is his word to you, his bride? You will. Love me, the Lord your God, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. You see, you just need to know that. Because when you know that, when you really know that, you're free. You're free. I think maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that next time. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. You are predestined to love the Lord your God in freedom. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. It's a command and it's a promise, and it will set you free. In Jesus' name, amen.